If you guys have your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of Luke. We're going to pick up right where uh, Pastor Ted uh, left off. Um, so we saw the Christmas story just last week. Um, and, and here we're going to look at just three amazing um, characters, one being the baby Jesus, and two being this, this old guy named Simeon and this old woman named Anna. Um, these three characters are vital in our story today. Um, and so Pastor Ted has, has allowed me to, to teach um, this morning, so you guys are in for a real treat. Um, no, but, but he left me with just an incredible section uh, of scripture, and we're starting off right away with the circumcision of Jesus. So, if you would, Luke chapter 2, starting off in verse 21, um, God's word reads this It says, And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now, when the days of her purification, this is Mary, according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So um, we, we see here that, that Mary and Joseph are, are devout um, believers in Yeshua, God. And so as, as Hebrews, as Jews, they are accustomed to um, withholding or, or upholding, I should say, the law. And so they, they come in to, uh, to uh, offer uh, an offering and, and to get the, the baby circumcised on the eighth day. And so we, we look at uh, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Ted talked about circumcision and just uh, very, very simply put, circumcision was, was the sign of the covenant that he made with Abraham to basically bless Abraham and say, I'm going to give you as many kids as there are sand, grains of sand, entire, you know, all, all the beaches. And here he is with uh, one illegitimate son by his handmaiden, Hagar, Ishmael, right? And he's like, what the heck, God? Like, I can't even, I can't even have a kid by my, my wife, Sarah, and yet you're promising me all this stuff and... And, and so God says, look, I'm going to, you need to circumcise uh, yourself. And this is when he was able to conceive and, and they had Isaac. And, and so circumcision was just a sign in the flesh that God would keep his word. And that also that the, the Jews, the Israelites, they would be separate. They would be set apart. They would be consecrated to the Lord. They would be set apart from the rest of the world. And this would be a sign in their flesh. And so we see here, because Mary and Joseph are devout Jews and they're Hebrew, um, they bring baby Jesus in to, to get circumcised. And as we look at here, it says on the eighth day. So they have no idea why it's on the eighth day. We know because of science now that your body produces vitamin K on the eighth day. Um, and it's a coagulant. And what it does is it, it thickens your blood to create blood clots and things like that. And so we just see that God is super, super cool. And he... Um, he just, he just didn't want people to bleed out. So he said, hey, look, do it on the eighth day. So there you go. There's a little tidbit of information for you. Um, so circumcision was supposed to be just a constant reminder of um, that they were to be different. They were to live their lives differently. They weren't to be like the rest of the world. And so a sign of cutting away of the flesh, you know, no longer, no longer living by the flesh, but rather by the spirit of God. And so we see here in verse 22, through 24, that Mary and Joseph come to offer a sin offering um, because we know that uh, 
that uh, King David wrote in the Psalms that we were born into sin, right? Pastor Ted talked about, I think, last week or maybe it was the week before about how you don't have to tell your, your young children to, like, uh, steal things and hit their, their brother and sister. They automatically do that because they're born little sinners. Um, I've got three of them myself. Um, so we understand that we are born in sin. And so here, Mary needed to come, and, and she was ceremonially unclean because, you know, you, when you have babies, you, you bleed. It's weird. I, anyways, um, where are you at, Sarah? She's not in here. So I can share stories. No, just kidding. Um, so I, I, I don't want nothing to do with the birthing process, by the way. I've had three kids and didn't watch any of them be born. I was up there being the cheerleader by my wife's head saying, you got this, you got this. Um, but anyways, she was, Mary was ceremonially unclean. And so she had to go and, and, present, um, and, and present an offering, a sacrifice um, to the Lord. And so you look at the book of Leviticus. I'll actually put it up on the screen. This is where the Lord had instituted this law back in, um, back in Leviticus. It says this. It says, when the time of her purification was completed for either a son or a daughter, the woman must bring a one-year-old lamb for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or turtle dove for a purification offering. She must bring her offering to the priest at the entrance of the tabernacle, and the priest will then present them to the Lord to purify her. Then she will be ceremonially clean again after her bleeding at childbirth. These are the instructions for a woman after the birth of a son or daughter. If a woman cannot afford to bring a lamb, she must bring two turtle, two turtle doves or, young, or two young pigeons. <clears throat> One will be for the burnt offering and the other for the purification offering. The priest will sacrifice them to purify her and she will be made ceremonial unclean, or ceremonial clean. Rather. So Mary and Joseph abide by the law. And, and they bring these offerings in, but notice she doesn't bring a lamb. She brings two young pigeons or two turtle doves. And why do you think that is? Because they were broke. Uh, I don't know about you, but I grew up broke. And, if you, um, and so this brings me great comfort and great joy to know that Jesus himself grew up um, with, with not a lot. Um, and, and just goes to show that Jesus identifies with the broken. Jesus identifies with poverty. He understands what it's like to grow up with not a lot of things, materialistically speaking. Um, so Mary and Joseph, they offered uh, these offerings, and, and Jesus' parents were, were not rich, which is, um, which is cool because as you look at Scripture, you look at Jesus, he came to save the lost. He came to identify with the broken. He came to identify with the poor. He was accused of being a drunkard and a and wine bibber. He was accused of hanging out. He wasn't accused. He was hanging out with the sinners, with the tax collectors. The Bible he says he's a friend of sinners. And so all of this um, to be, the reason we say all this is to show that Jesus, um, he came for the broken. He came to identify with those um, who needed him. And I had a really cool conversation with somebody after first service and who serves in our homeless outreach. And she had some questions about this. And so, um, you know, as we were talking, she was like, you know, a lot of these homeless people that come, you know, they're either drunk or they're still high. You know, is, is it okay to like feed them? Is it okay to like bless them? Is it okay um, to do these things? And I said, absolutely. E- even more so to them than someone who's not. Because why did Jesus come? Jesus said, I didn't come for the well. I came for the sick. I came for those who, who need me the most. You know, and we have people in our lives that 
that grow up and, and they have no need in their own mind for a savior because maybe they've got a good job or they got a healthy family or things seem to be okay. And I think those people are even worse off than those that realize their desperate need um, for a savior. And then they realize that they are broken, imperfect human people. Um, and they're the ones that, that Jesus came for. They're the ones that Jesus, um, the desire for Jesus to make whole again. So, um, since we, you and I, were born into sin, you know, this, this, this offering must take place. And so Jesus, having not been born a sinner like the rest of us, didn't need to do that um, for the sin, but he needed to do that to identify with you and with I as sinners. Jesus could have easily excused himself from this ceremony and, the, and this, this thing, but, but he didn't. Uh, yet we see him even as a baby identifying with sinners. Jesus identifies with the broken throughout Scripture. And even in his family tree, look at the, the book of, of Matthew. In the first chapter, there's, there's few women named in his genealogy. And typically women aren't named in genealogies. Um, but these four women um, are not necessarily the picture-perfect family that you're going to like brag about, right? Um, one is Tamar. Uh, the other is Rahab. The other is Ruth, and the other is Bathsheba. So these women, um, you're not going to go home and, and brag, oh yeah, guess who's on my family, right? Anyone have any famous people in their families? And you can't wait to like drop those names in, in conversations, right? Or maybe you're humble and you're not like me and you don't do that. But if I had like a famous person, I'd be like, I'd be like, oh yeah, no big deal. My cousin is Kobe Bryant or whatever. Or Stephon Curry, my last name's Curry. So Stephon Curry, he's actually a third cousin of mine. It's not true. Um, but, uh, but anyway, so, so Jesus uh, identifies with sinners. So you look at Tamar. She sold herself as a prostitute to her father-in-law so that she could bear a son and be taken care of. Uh, Rahab, she was the Gentile prostitute who lived in the walls of the city of Jericho, this evil city that God had overthrown, that was going to overthrow, Right? Ruth, we know that she was redeemed by Boaz, right? But until that, she was outside of a relationship uh, with Yeshua, with God. And then Bathsheba, who was infamous for her adulterous affair with King David. And so Jesus identifies with the broken, even in his genealogy, his family tree. And we look at, and we talked about this last couple of weeks, but Joseph and Mary being teenage parents outside of wedlock. So Jesus was born to a teenage mom outside of wedlock. So now we know because, because the Bible says, but we know that, there was, that the Holy Spirit had conceived inside her, but nobody in their right mind actually believed that, right? So the stipulation that Mary and Joseph had were what? Like, uh, Outside of marriage. That was like a big no-no then, right? And so his whole entire life, he had to live, Jesus had to live with people accusing his mom and dad and her parents living in shame growing up because, or people putting that on them because they didn't believe that, that Jesus had been conceived from the Holy Spirit. So even in her, even in, uh, Jesus identifies with sinners and even his parents growing up, um, that way. And then we look at circumcision. Galatians 4 4 says this, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. So circumcision was a custom of the law, right? And every male in, uh, in the household of, um, in your household must be circumcised, right? From birth on the eighth day. And so Jesus needed to identify or decided to 
identify with sinners and be circumcised himself. And so as you look at um, this really cool quote by Alexander Wright, it says this, for he, it'll be up on the screen too, but for he who knew no sin and who never was to know sin was already in his uh, circumcision made sin for us. He was not so much as eight days in the world till he began to be numbered with the transgressors. Mary's firstborn son was a lamb without blemish, without spot. But before he was a week old, he began to bear the sins of many. And as he began in the temple that day, so he continued every day to lead a life of pain and shame and bloodshedding for us and for our children, till he finished on the cross the sin-anointing work his father had given him to do. And, uh, and, And ever after that first day of his wounding, of our transgressions, that holy thing bore in his body the marks of our redemption. Just incredible. Um, Sarah and I were actually talking uh, about this. We were driving the other day, um, and we were just talking about how, like we couldn't wrap our minds around just Jesus' humanity and yet him being fully God at the same time. But I think this is it's just re- really, really subtle but really cool that, that Jesus chose uh, to come here to be born fully understanding being God and being able to do whatever he wants, but yet having the human humanity restrictions on him, not being able to walk, right? Not being able to talk, not being able to just get up and use the restroom by himself, but needing to be, to be changed and being cared after and being provided for by his mom and by his dad. Really, really cool. Um, it just shows that, that God gets it. He understands what we go through. He made it a point to do that. Jesus understands poverty, identifies with us in his poverty as well. We know that there's no room at the end, right? We talked about that last week. He had the, the two turtle doves instead of the burnt uh, or the, the lamb. So that was the poor man's offering. He couldn't afford the lamb. So he did the two turtle doves or the two pigeons instead. And Jesus also said in, in Matthew chapter 8, verse 20, it says, Foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So Jesus gets it. Hebrews 4.15 kind of culminates all of this together and says this, that we have a high priest of ours who understands our weakness, for he faced all of the same things we do and yet did not sin. Super comforting to me to know that Jesus understands what we go through. We think that sometimes that, well, Jesus didn't live in the 21st century. Jesus didn't do this. Jesus, you know, how could he possibly understand what I'm going through? But you look at the Gospels, his friends betrayed him, right? You look at Peter, I'll never deny you, three times within like an hour. Um, you look at Judas, betrayed him, stabbed in the back for 30 pieces of silver, right? I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Jesus, one of his closest friends, Lazarus, died, right? He looked at his, his people, Jerusalem, and said, Jesus wept. I mean, so Jesus understands brokenness. He understands humanity. He understands the things that you and I have and will go through. And he purposely subjected himself to those things so that he could identify with sinners so that he can save sinners like you and like me. And the story transitions here. As we see Mary bring Jesus into the temple, he's, you know, he was eight days when he got circumcised and then in about 40 days after that, 
uh, or, or 40 days total, 33 days after he was circumcised, she, they're going for the purification offering, right? And so here they are in the temple, and we meet two characters, two amazing characters, one being an, an old guy named Simeon, another an old woman named Anna, um, faithfully waiting for the Messiah in the temple, serving God day in and day out. And so as Jesus is, is brought in by his mother, we meet Simeon. Read with me in verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just devoted or devout, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit to the temple and when, this, when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the, the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed, and God blessed him, excuse me, and, and, and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph of Mary, his mother, marveled at those things which were spoken of him. This, uh, then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. <coughs> so, Joseph and Mary bring in their 40-day-old child. And uh, Simeon, we don't know a whole lot about Simeon. There's 10 verses uh, dedicated to him. But we know that he was a man of God. We know that he was devout, just, and filled with the Holy Spirit. We know that he was patiently waiting for the Messiah to come. We know that he heard from God. Because the Lord led him by the Spirit into the temple to see baby Jesus. So no doubt, Simeon, older in age, probably 80s or so, taking a little bit of liberty there because I don't know exactly. But we look at verse 26 and verse 29. It talks about his departure and his death, meaning he was up there in age. And uh, God had promised him that he would not see death until he saw Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, the Redeemer. And so put yourself in, in Simeon's shoes. You are in the temple with hopeful expectation that the Redeemer would come and each time a family would bring in a new baby, he would say, hey, Lord, is, is that one? Is that the Messiah? Is that the Messiah? I mean, you wonder how many babies he just went and picked up. No, not him, you know? Any new parents out there, right? And are like, mama bears, like, don't touch my kid. You know, did you wash your hands? So we went to Chick-fil-A last night. I love Chick-fil-A, but I hate it at the same time. It's so delicious, but it's so expensive. Um, side note. Anyways, but at Chick-fil-A, they have the hand sanitizers. My wife's like, wash your hands after the kids get done playing in the deal. Um, and so, anyway, Simeon's there in the, squirrel, Simeon's there in the temple, and he's, he's waiting. He's asking, could that be the baby? Could that be the Redeemer? Could that be the Redeemer? And the Holy Spirit says, no, there he is. So he has a cane, he's walking, and he says, 
can I, can, I hold your, can I hold your baby? And Mary, a teenage mother, probably claws just starting to come out, you know, and realize it's just a harmless, sweet old man. So they start retracting a little bit. Says, sure. And Simeon does like any other godly man would do. He holds this baby up like Simba from the Lion King. And he starts praising God and saying, my Redeemer lives. This is he. This is the Redeemer I've been waiting my entire life to see. What an amazing experience for Simeon. What, what, what an unbelievable thing for, for him to be able to do, to be able to hold baby Jesus in his arms and say, this is him. And look at, and he, starts, he says this, this poem about baby Jesus. He says, Lord, verse 29, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. Just an amazing, amazing story. So as you look at Simeon, there's an important part in his life that you have to know. that Simeon's probably his 80s-ish, meaning he had lived through one of the worst times in Israel when the Roman Empire came in and took over and they ruled with an iron fist. They turned houses upside down. They separated families. Terrorism was at all time high right there. So Simeon had lived through some really hard things. But yeah, it said that he patiently waited for the Lord. He had this hopeful expectation that the Redeemer would come, that Jesus would right every wrong, that he would wipe every tear, that he would set his kingdom up here on this earth. And the question is, do we have the same anticipation and waiting on Jesus in our lives? Or do we allow ourselves to get stuck in our current situation and think, how in the world can I get out of this? So Simeon lived through some terrible times, but although he didn't live without hope, Simeon lived with the hope that one thing, one day the Messiah would come and that Jesus would rule and reign. The hope that things would get better, the hope that... God would keep his word and his promises. And the disciples lived with the same hope, right? What did they expect Jesus to do? Set up this earthly kingdom, right? And rule with an iron fist. So the thing that they were praying and waiting for and hoping for, was that, is that what Jesus came to do? No, he set, he, he set up a, a heavenly kingdom. Right? And so even the things that we hope for and we want... When, when we get them, we don't realize that we got them and we're disappointed because we're looking for what we want, not for what God wants. It's like, do we have the guts, the courage to truly say, I mean, it's easy to say these things, but do we have the guts and the courage to truly live our lives in light of Jesus being the captain of our lives and us truly just allowing him to lead us? Or do we live with a hopeful expectation that God would get us out of the situation in the intermediate, but then as soon as, as soon as we get to where we think we're okay again, we forget about Jesus. We forget about what our Redeemer did, who our Savior is, because he got us out of the difficult situation we were in in the intermediate, but we weren't looking long-term. And so Simeon here prophesies about who Jesus is as well. In verse 33 to 35, he says... <laughs> So Joseph and Mary, they, they, his mother, they, they marveled at the things which were spoken of him. And Sarah and I were talking about this again. And, and Sarah's like, isn't that so cool that like Mary and Joseph didn't even really know who Jesus was. They knew he was the Savior, but they had no idea. Like this, this lamb, right, this, this, or this little baby that they had in their hand was going to be 
that ultimately sacrificed for the forgiveness of all sins. I mean, that just blows my mind to even think about that. So as Sarah and I are driving, we're going up to, to a wedding on Friday. Um, so we started talking about this and we just, we, we couldn't even wrap our heads around it. And I'm like, stop talking to me. You're going to confuse me when, I, when I'm teaching. Like, it, it just boggles my mind that Jesus is, is unbelievable, unbelievable. So, and basically he says that this child is destined for the fall and rise of man. Either Jesus say, look, either you're for me or you're against me. Jesus came to bring division, right? Set mother against father and so forth. Why? Because the people, because choosing Jesus will cause division. I don't know about you and your family tree or whatever your, your circle of friends or your coworkers or whatever it is, but to truly stand up for Jesus means you're going you're gonna to irritate and make a lot of people mad. And that's okay. Jesus said it was going to happen. But he said, don't even worry about that because if they hated you, they hated me first and more. So you're in good company. And so Simeon prophesied about these things. And basically, oversimplification, he says, look, either Jesus is going to be your friend or he's your foe, either he's your savior or he's your condemner. There's no such thing as being on the fence. Revelation says, I want you hot or I want you cold. If you're lukewarm, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. And we think sometimes as believers, we can live on the fence, right? Do a little bit of Jesus, do a little bit of me. Just doesn't work. That's a lie from the enemy. It's, it's a trap to think that we can live our lives any other way than a complete surrender to Jesus. It's a trap. And then we see that the story turns again as, as Simeon's holding baby Jesus up, prophesying over him, singing God's praises. Then comes Anna in. She's probably got a, a walker. And she's coming in, and here she is, being over 100 years old, being a widow for 84 years, having experienced pain of losing a loved one, a husband, no doubt going through the same things that Simeon went through, through the destruction and and the terrorizing of, of Israel and Jerusalem. And yet, where do we see her? Faithless is day in, and day out, night and day, through prayer and fasting, she's serving the Lord in the temple. So side note, when we're going to go through some tough times, Lord willing, um, we don't have to lose a loved one. Maybe someone out here has. And j- just know that you can live with hopeful expectation that Jesus will redeem, that Jesus will save, that Jesus will wipe every tear. But in those trials, where we turn is key. We will either turn away from the Lord or we will turn to the Lord. And that is completely up to you and how you choose to live your life. Turning to the Lord doesn't mean you're gonna, everything's just going to be A-OK. Jesus doesn't take away all the, the emotions that we feel, the pain that we feel. He just makes going through that bearable. You don't get, doesn't get easier after losing someone. You just get, by God's grace, you just get stronger. And you grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus. But we see Anna faithfully waiting for her redeemer. Simeon faithfully waiting for his redeemer in the temple. And that's key. Where are they waiting? Not in their bed being depressed. but Rather, they're serving the Lord in the temple. I'm sure there's days they woke up and like, I don't want to clean the toilets again. You know, I don't want to do this again. But we don't record those. I'm not saying you're not going to have struggles. 
saying the struggles will be worth it. So we see them faithfully waiting for the Savior. And we know, so who do we know, or what do we know about Anna? Verse 36, now there's a, there a woman, or there's one who named Anna. She was a prophetess, daughter of Peniel, the tribe of Asher. She was a great age, and she lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years, who did not depart, listen, who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fasting and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and looked <coughs> and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. So Simeon's holding this baby, and here comes Anna. Like, Simeon? Is that him? You know? And Simeon's like, it's him. The one we've been longed for, the one we've waited for. And she's got to turn up her earring aid because she can't hear. She's you know, 100 and plus years old. And, and, and what does she do? She goes and tells everyone looking for redemption that I, the Christ is here, the Redeemer is here, the Redeemer lives. She was blessed to be able to see Jesus in the flesh because she was where Jesus was in the temple. You guys want to see Jesus? Go where Jesus is at. Where is he at? He's in his word. In community here in church. Now on a theological level, we realize he's omnipresent, he's everywhere. But you get what I'm saying. Go to where, do you want to hear from the Lord? You have to wait upon the Lord. Those two things go hand in hand. I mean, how many of you guys like things quick? Is waiting super hard or what? Funny story about this fancy Apple watch I have, right? Uh, my papa bought this for me, right? And I went to the Apple store and I was like, I want that one. I wanted the Nike one, right? Um, they didn't have the Nike one. I was going to have to wait five weeks. So which one did I get? The one that was in stock, okay? So I settled because I didn't want to wait. Uh, my wife, she's not here. She would agree with this statement. But I have like, oh, she texts me, says, love you, heart. Um, she, she loves me. I have like issues when it comes to my, my phone being not charged. Like my wife, it drives me nuts. She'll like let it be on 4% all day long and not even charge it. It just like boils, my blood just boils. Like, what are you doing? You could run out of battery. It's like, what did we do 15 years ago before these things were around? It just dealt, right? Anyways, <clears throat> so what's the, what's the worst part about your, your phone charging? The weight. This, this is my high school group back there. The struggle is real. Maddie, love you, right? She understands the struggle. The millennials in here understand my struggle. We don't like to wait. We're a fast food culture. We want things here. We want things now. I won't even go to the star, the drive. Listen, this is how pathetic I am. I won't even go to the drive through Starbucks on 79 because the, the drive through line is too long. Isn't way too long. See, Jay knows. Jay knows. We don't want to wait for things. We don't want to wait. Waiting is hard. Our computers are fast. Our phones are fast. Fast food is fast. This spills, this spills over into our spiritual life as well. We're in such a hurry these days and, and we look for Scripture as, as, as a quick answer to things. And yet, as you look at Scripture, God doesn't answer right away, hardly ever. He does things according to his timeline, his time frame. So what is wait? Why wait? Like, what's the deal with waiting? Why, why is it such a big deal? Because this is what waiting does in our life. It builds our patience. Like, I don't want my patience built. I just want what I want, and I want it now. Waiting builds appreciation. Those things that you wait for, 
you appreciate more. Is that true? No? Okay, good. All right. Waiting transforms our character. And this is key. This is what I'm getting at here. Waiting transforms our character. We're going to look at a few people here, just rattle off some names, and what God did in their life and what waiting did in their life. So Moses, he waited 40 years to be equipped enough to lead the people out of Egypt and into the promised land, well, into the wilderness on the verge of the promised land, right? So he had to go into the wilderness and serve his father-in-law and pick up sheep poop for 40 years, right? Waiting for that call to say, okay, it's time to get in the game and go. Jesus, right? 30 years before he started his public ministry here on earth. I mean, talk about humbling. Here he is the savior of all, and he's walking around, he's seeing broken people, he's seeing withered arms, he's seeing, he's lame people, he's seeing all this stuff, and yet it wasn't his time yet. God had a perfect timing for him. Amazing story in the book of Acts where there's a, there's a story where Peter and John are walking into the temple to pray and, and to worship God, and they see this lame man outside the gate, beautiful, right? And he asks for alms, and he says, look, I don't have any money, but what I do have, I give you freely. Stand up and walk, right? And then you go to the next chapter. This man had been there for over 40 years at the gate every single day. Jesus was alive at that time, and he would have went into the temple to worship. Why didn't Jesus heal then? Why? It wasn't time. God had a perfect plan. The reason was he wanted his disciples to experience that miracle. He wanted the people to realize that it wasn't this magic man, but it was the living spirit of God inside of each and every one of us that can do that. So the same spirit that was in Jesus that raised him up from the dead lives in you and in me. Doesn't that blow your mind? I'm like starting to preach up here. Um, so Moses, Joseph waited 13 years in prison, Right? Abraham, 25 years. Jesus, 30 years. If God is making you wait for something, you are in good company. To us, waiting is a waste of time. It's wasting. But to God, waiting is working on you. You're not ready yet is probably the answer. And I don't know what's going on in your lives. You do, and God knows. But waiting builds intimacy and dependency on God something that is vital to our Christian life. So the next time you think that God is silent, he's not speaking, he doesn't care, I encourage you to press in, to listen to his voice. He is speaking to those who are patiently waiting upon him. Sarah and I have some really good friends here in the church that actually moved away to a different state. (laughs) Um, But this was probably like, I don't know, seven years ago or so, my wife was in our, our MOPS program that we have here at the church. And and my wife, when you get to know her, she's a social person, but she's not like me, like a social butterfly, you know, like I'll talk to anyone, like Sarah hates going anywhere in public with me because I'll find someone I know and we'll talk for like 20 minutes. One time we were talking about that on the way into Walmart and then Andy, there he is right there. And I talked to Andy for like 20 minutes and Sarah's like, I, we got to go. I'm like, well, Andy's here. Well, we, we don't got to go nowhere. So I like to talk to people. I, I got no issues with that. My wife, on the other hand, it's like we, we couldn't be polar opposites. So uh, my wife's in mops and you, there's like small little small groups and stuff. And she strikes up with this, this, this girl, this woman who's in mops and um, she comes home periodically and she would talk about her and their struggles. Wouldn't share exactly what the struggles were because it was just a small group and then their prayer circle. And, um, and she, I could just, my wife was just hurting for this girl for several months. And then one day <laughs> she tells me, hey, let, let's, uh, 
we're going to go out to dinner with him. I was like, what has gotten into you? You know, like, are you okay? You want to like go out with people that like you don't know that well? So me, I'm like, you, let's go out to dinner. I don't care. But my wife's not that way. And so she, she invites, or we, we go to um, our friend, you guys may know him, Justin and Leah Callis. I'm sure you guys, some of you guys know him, know them. But um, so they, they had been struggling for a very long time, Leah being crushed. And my wife actually not even knowing Leah very well, but bearing her burden. Uh, Galatians 6.1, bear one another's burdens, thus fulfill the law of Christ. My wife just befriending Leah and going through this journey. And they, I called them yesterday and talked to them, and, and they, they gave me permission to, to share the story. But uh, some of you, probably a lot of you might know, but they were struggled with infertility. They actually had a daughter. They got pregnant fairly easy, and she's seven or eight and a half now, seven and a half now. Um, but then th- they tried getting pregnant for years, so five and a half years total, um, eight total miscarriages, three IUIs, uh, four IVFs, two failed adoption processes. Um, they were literally the next family in line to adopt through the whole county process and all of that. Then Justin's work uprooted him and moved him to Florida. Um, they were literally the next. I mean, talk about bitterness of a wife towards a husband. I'm sure that she was angry and, and upset. And the whole time calling out to the Lord and saying, God, why aren't you answering us? Like, what, why? Like, what's the deal here? I mean, eight miscarriages, guys, eight. I remember getting the call from Justin, and they, they, they were pregnant with twins. It was like, we're like, yeah, you know, hopefully you got two brothers. You know, they're going to be awesome. Me and my, I have an older brother, so we're really close, and Justin has an older brother. Uh, they're really close. And I was like, you're going to have two brothers. going to be awesome. Like, we we're all talking about it. We're saying they're going to be, they're going to get college scholarships, play football, at USC, he went to UCLA, so I was messing with him. And uh, we got the call just a week or so later that they had miscarried both. They pursued every medical test, every treatment, every approach, and every invention uh, or intervention that's offered, yet with no luck. Until uh, they moved to Florida, all part of God's plan. We were saying, Justin, you're making the biggest mistake of your life by moving your family over there. What are, you, what are you doing, you know? Um, and so they move to Florida, and God prevails. They have this baby boy named Israel. This is a picture of the family. There's Justin, Leah, there's Lyndon, and then baby Israel right there. Um, Israel, the name, means God prevails. And how fitting. But he, here's the thing I want you guys to notice is that they, they waited upon the Lord. They, were, they, they, they prayed, they cried, they were angry. Uh, all the emotions that you can possibly go through, and still God didn't answer the way that they hoped he would answer. They wanted to be able to, to have a, a natural kid. Yet that wasn't in the cards for them. That wasn't what God had for them. And so even though we wait upon the Lord, even though we, we wait with hopeful expectation that Jesus would move he will, but it's not going to be necessarily the way that we expect or want him to. And that's okay. We need to remember that our life is not our own, that we were bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus. Therefore, we are to honor God with our lives. Not when we are blessed, but we are to honor God no matter what. And God prevails in baby Israel they, they came, uh, so my wife actually went out, she, they got adopted, 
uh, or they, they got him in February of la- this year. So my wife went out in March or April, and then they were out here just a couple of months ago, and he is the fattest little baby you've ever seen. He's so cute. Um, and I've got three kids myself, and I, he might be cuter than, than my kids even. I don't know. But, uh, but God is good. It's not the way they had drawn it up. It's not the game plan for their lives, and yet God is good. God prevails. So Anna and Simeon both waited with expectation for the Lord to come. They lived with their lives with the hope and expectation that Jesus would save, that he would right every wrong, that he would restore, that he would redeem. And he is all those things, but it wasn't immediate and it wasn't in what they thought it would be. Waiting is meant to prepare us. It's not something that's just we have to get through, but waiting is meant to prepare us. We can't be content with where we are when we're, when we're discontent with, or we can't be content rather with, with our life when we're focused on where we're not. We rob our own selves of the joy. No matter what season we're in, whether we're in a anticipation like Justin and Leah were of this baby, God, would you bless? Would you, would you allow this to just, just one time, God? No matter what season we're in, we're in it for a reason, for a purpose. Like God, his purpose and plan in that season is to grow you and mature you in that season. Not to get out of that season, but rather in that season. Your purpose is present right now. So instead of sitting around being angry or being bitter or frustrated or depressed or whatever it is, use this time to mature and grow and get the most out of what God has put in front of you. I know it's easy for, for me to say um, from the pulpit saying this is what we should do as people, as Christians and stuff. It's a completely different thing to actually live that out. Amen? So I don't sit here saying, if you just do this, this, and this, your life will be peaches. I realize that patiently waiting is a struggle. But we, don't, we need to wait upon the Lord. So in 2018, I want to challenge you, us as a church, to wait upon the Lord. But here's the thing. We don't wait for the Lord's presence, guys. Listen, we don't wait for the Lord's presence, but rather we wait in God's presence for the Lord to move. Get into your word. Get to know Jesus. The biggest struggle I have as a high school pastor is getting the students to see that Jesus is a real person. He desires a real relationship. And you can't have a relationship with someone you're not willing to spend time with. You want to hear the Lord? You want the Lord to move? You want the Lord to speak? It's not going to be in the drive through line. It's going to be with your nose in his word. And God's going to make you wait some things out. But it's in that waiting process that he will grow you and mature you. And I promise you this, that 2018, spiritually speaking, will be the best year of your life if you press in and faithfully wait in the presence of the Lord for God to move in your life.